Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading in 2017. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Uh, so what did we do? We started off with uh, started off with a book that's really, but they're not novellas because they're two very sh- they're short stories, right? So <laughs> yeah, um, we knew we were doing this um, during the last episode. If you listen to the year in review episode, and I said if we have to start off with, we knew we already knew this was the plan. Um, this episode's going to be a little different. We're going to talk a lot about um, Sirius Moonlight um, by Craig Walwork and Amanda Gowan. Um, we're going to have Craig on. Um, Amanda was supposed to be on, and God, listeners got to be like they could just they could just tell when I say her name. They're like, he's going to say she's not on again. She's not on again <laughs> um, for for various um, personal reasons. So um, we we already recorded this uh, this interview. So what you're going to hear happened, you know, an hour and a half ago, roughly. Um, but first, we want to give you the the synopsis of the book. All right. So Serious Moonlight by Craig Walwork and Amanda Gowan. Uh, Craig Walwork and Amanda Gowan team up to bring you two original stories, one darkly beautiful tale by each author. They are best read by moonlight or starlight. Love takes many forms, bruises, branches, the view through a telescope, the string of a viola, the gleam of gold, tears, and most of all, magic. Uh, This book includes The Aquarium by Amanda Gowan and Stilled Longing by Craig Walwork. Good old Greg Walwork. Greg Walwork, yeah. Um, here are the author bios that Rob put together for um, for these <laughs> authors. Craig Walwork was in the book Danthology. Amanda Gowan was in the book Danthology. That's really... That's all you need to know, yeah. That's, that's everything much you it. need to know, yeah. All right, everybody. Here's uh, here's our interview with Craig Walwork. Greg, thanks so much for coming on to Booked. I know it's been a long time. We're super excited to talk to you again. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I can't <give> you. <laughs> <clears throat> It was like six seconds. Yeah, it's, it's six, the six, British six. way, isn't it? It's the British way. Let's just not complain. <laughs> let's let's take a moment and explain to the listeners. Um, so we've been talking for a few minutes with Craig, um, and of course, being American, you know, we're, we're, we we have to dumb everything down. It's impossible for us to pronounce his name right. So we said we're going to call him Craig the whole time. Anyway, he turned to this thing where we're going to call him Greg. Rob said he was actually going to do it and see how long it lasts, and apparently six seconds. So. <laughs> so <laughs> Uh, I'm going to do my best to, and when you have a name that's, that's difficult for people to pronounce like Livius, you try to do better than other people who have an easy name to pronounce, I think. So Craig, like, like Rob, yeah. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome back to book. It's been, we were talking, it's been a few years. How you been? Good. Uh, yeah, good in life. Uh, not so good with publishing credits, but yeah, everything's been fine. Well, you took a little bit of a jump from. Uh, into like an editor chair for for quite a while, right? So did that? I know we're gonna jump around. We're actually gonna talk about um, you know, um, the the stories that we brought you on for. But um, did that take away from some of your writing time being um, uh, editing over at uh, Medicine Hedge? It didn't to begin with. Uh, I was kind of balancing it quite well, but I only had one child at the time as well, so. Then second child came along and I had, I think I was writing something, I can't remember, and I was starting to find uh, work-life balance difficult. So, yeah, I had to uh, knock the editing job on the head, unfortunately, just so I could sort of pull back some time for my own writing. 
See, Rob and I had the the um, pleasure of doing the very light workload of editing for the book the anthology because we had Pela Vion with us who did all the heavy lifting. I can't imagine that that's fun to do full time. You know, by full time, I mean to do it a lot. And this is just. It just seems like you'd have to read through a lot of stuff you don't want to read and then try to find ways to make the stuff that's kind of acceptable, better, or good enough for your publication. It just seems like it's not a terribly rewarding thing to do. It, the, the difficulty, did you guys sort of, you solicited, didn't you, certain writers mm-hmm. to come yep. in for that anthology? So Correct. you kind of had a level that you knew you were going to get. You know, the, this was... Um, you could guarantee that the majority of the stories that were going to come in were going to be good enough for that anthology. What you find is with the slush pile, you're looking at 5%, 10% that is good and worthy of publication. So you've got 80%, 90% of stuff that's not so good and some that are really bad. So what you do is it's a bit like listening to music. You know, on the radio, you'll just kind of hear all these terrible songs and sometimes you just have to go back and listen to a good CD, you know, just to sort of recalibrate yourself. And it, and it's a bit like that. It's going through that process and just kind of feeling a bit, oh, you know, and it, it it's good and it's not. It, it's difficult, really, to sort of say, would you do it all the time? And I just found that it was a bit kind of soul-destroying towards the end because... I was just wanting to sort of write. That's that's kind of how I felt. You know, I was a you know I was a writer, and I didn't feel I was giving enough to the magazine. Um, so I just had to make a decision. But fortunately, somebody stepped in uh, and took the reins. As far as serious moonlight goes, um, how did you and Amanda Gowan come to the decision slash have the idea to do this little collaboration? Uh, Amanda approached me, I think she approached me about a year ago, possibly, and said, you know, would you be interested in doing something? And I said, yeah, sure, you know, because it's Amanda, you know, and I always dig what she does, and she's very creative, and we've always spoke about maybe doing something, and about 12 months ago, she asked me to this, and and life kind of got in the way, I think, we kind of drifted off subject, and we never revisited it. Then, I can't think it was about October, it was kind of resurrected and Amanda approached me and said, you know, we should do this. And if we do it, I want to release it um, January the 1st. So I was like, okay, yeah, let's do it then. And it was all her idea. I mean, all, all the success of this, all the credit needs to go to Amanda, really. She just kind of pulled me in and said, would you be interested to just to submit a story for it? And that was it, really. And it just snowballed. And the, the sort of premise behind it was very simple. The way she pitched it to me was that if David Bowie was to read some stories, which stories, you know, from your collection would he like to read? So it was kind of like what had magic, what had, um, uh, well, elements of magic. Uh, fantasy or you know something that you could pull you from the page and and that was it really and then it was just trying to go through the back catalogue of stuff to figure out what would be suitable 
All right. So, question about the um, so Sirius Moonlight. I'm not a big David Bowie person, but that is a a reference to what a David Bowie song. Yeah, Sirius Moonlight. It's um, you can ask me what it's from. No, you're just uh, going to tell me. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I can't think. That's okay. Uh, the serious moonlight, the serious moonlight. That one. Hey, that's way better. We did not expect you to sing at all in this episode, and so you're you're <laughs> seriously going beyond your expectations. Um, you did well enough that I recognized it. I didn't know what it was, but when you did that, I go, you know, I think I know exactly what he's talking about. It's going to come to me as well. It will come to me. <laughs> uh, do, do you do much, uh, or did you plan to do much in the publication to... Um, kind of acknowledge the, the Bowie influence or was just kind of um, g- did that just give you uh, something uh, personally when you were creating it? You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, it wasn't necessarily that there was any reference to Bowie in any of the songs. You know, it was just if Bowie was the uh, editor of a magazine, that's how I kind of thought about it. <laughs> that's how I kind of, you know, if he was sat there reading the slush what would you what would you pitch to with him and what would he like and i think it was because obviously he you know he died in january and it was a bit it was still sort of resonating especially with amanda um that was sort of still resonating with her so it was just like a nice little you know nod to him and i thought it was a good idea you know and uh yeah yeah we just kind of pulled it together this is how terrible. <clears throat> God damn, I gotta get over this. <clears throat> so terrible. The three of us are. I had to Google that lyric. It's from "Let's Dance," which is you know, arguably so... one of his most popular yeah. songs, I think. So. <laughs> did I tell you about? That... Did Livius? Did I ever tell you the story about that? That the the time that that song really got me into a bind. No, but you have always interesting stories around songs or, or thoughts around songs that involve dancing. So no, let's let's uh, let's hear this. All right, this is going to be a quick one. So I used to in a job that I worked, and this is probably like back in like two thousand. Um, just you know, random music playing over the speakers, you know, like regular mm-hmm. store type music. And uh, I'm walking from one part of the store I worked into another, and that song was on, and. Again, not really a big Bowie fan, but that's the kind of song where you can just kind of hum along or sing along with it. Um, And I'm walking around this corner, and I'm really getting into the song, and I'm singing it out loud. And as the, like, let's dance part comes on, I make direct eye contact with someone. Then I look down, and I notice that they have one leg. (laughs) Okay. He can't dance, and I'm singing... Let's, well, maybe he can dance now that I think about it. But at the time, I was like, wow, I'm being insensitive, and I didn't even mean to. Um, so I always think about was that it, one-legged guy when I hear that song. Was it a pirate convention or something? No. <laughs> 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 well, you didn't even have a peg leg. It was just like an empty, you know, the folded-up oh. pant leg. He right. literally had just one one leg. So sorry to get us off track. Oh, no, that's Okay. Uh, Craig, tell us a little bit about Amanda's story. Um, she'd said, because what we did was, be, you know, obviously before we put it to Kindle, we read each other's stories. And she says, I've got this story. This is the thing I'm thinking of um, using. It's called Aquarium. Um, have a read of it. 
see if you think it fits. And the thing with Amanda's work is it's just so slick that I knew it, you know, it'd fit either way. But was I wasn't expecting it to be so kind of dark, beautiful, kind of cool. Um, so I was right, sort of, yeah, you know, and it, she kind of raised the bar at that stage, so I kind of felt a bit intimidated. But essentially, the story is there's a woman. Uh, I think she remains nameless throughout the story. And she's uh, a kept woman, so to speak, from a chap called Christoph. Now, Christoph, I had this conversation with Amanda. I didn't know what his job was. It sounds to me, read well, as you read it, is that he's, uh, I, well, I interpreted it, that he's a hitman. Or he's involved in that kind of business. And he comes to her apartment and he provides her with gifts. And it's essentially their relationship. And as the sort of story unfurls, you see how brutal that relationship is, uh, how much they love each other and how much it influences their lives, almost to like sort of third party, uh, third person character that comes into it later on. Um, I always thought when I read it, and I should probably won't agree with this, but do you know the Jean-Luc Godard film Breathless? Not familiar with it personally. Oh, you know, I wonder, I, I may be familiar with the remake. I, I'm wondering if that's what um, the Richard Gere movie from the 80s, also called Breathless, I think might have been a remake of that. So maybe I am a little bit. Yeah, it, it, the, the, I, can't, I don't want to do the pronunciation of the French version. I think it's, it's a, I'll have a stab, about de souffle, I think, but it might, I might be wrong, but essentially... It's about a um, thief who's murdered somebody called, um, I think it's Pockyard. It's, it's played by Jean-Paul Belmondo. And he has this American girlfriend, uh, Jean Seberg, and they meet. And it's all about their lives, really, and how important they are. And he's the the Belmondo character sort of modeled himself on... Um, these American actors, you know, big American actors like Humphrey Bogart. So he's forever got a cigarette in his mouth. And I, I kind of felt that it was that story after the movie. So, because there's scenes where, um, in, in the story, there's, there's a lot of kind of sex scenes, but not kind of gratuitous. It's only kind of hinted at the brutality of it. And in the film, there's a scene where um, they're in bed, the two characters, and they're kind of talking and flirting and kind of smoking. Then they make love. And she quotes Faulkner. Like, and she says something like, and I'm paraphrasing here, but between grief and nothing, I will take grief. And the main character returns and says, grief is a compromise. And it's that kind of slick dialogue that Amanda's so great at writing, and she puts a lot of that into her story. Their exchange between Christoph and the main character is just beautifully sort of, you know, scripted. And she always leaves me in awe of that. And I, I just found there's something between the two 
the the film and that story that kind of linked in my head. So it just had that kind of cool um, avant-garde type, gritty, uh, poetic, beautiful feel to it. I probably not explained it very well, but that that's the kind of feelings that I got from it. <laughs> uh, so uh, to kind of build on your uh, explanation or description of the story, um, the the character, the kept woman, mm. uh, for me, it felt like um, if you were if you considered like a a woman who's like just you know kept in the way that the, she is in the story, you'd imagine. Um, someone who's kind of not necessarily meek, but you know, um, not dangerous. <laughs> and this character definitely shows in, in the very short amount of time that, that the story takes that she's probably more of a wild animal than like a pet. And that was a really cool thing for me about the story. Yeah. She's, um, essentially as dangerous, if not more so than the main character, uh, sorry, the Christoph character. Yeah. Um, and she's certainly, when I meant kept, I don't think subservient um, in, in that sense, like the shrinking violet. She's certainly, she just kept it in terms of material goods, um, yeah. possessions and things like that. They would buy her things and probably, I don't know, I imagine pay for her to stay where she's staying. But they certainly feed off each other. There, it's, uh, it's very mutual. She... You would think when you first read um, what happens in the bedroom that he's taking advantage of her, like he's abusing her. But as it transpires, they both need it. They both need that kind of passion and that animal type, you know, aggressive, aggressive uh, routine. My thoughts on it, and I, I love, um, I love Amanda's work and. I've always said, and, and I don't know that I call this a love story, but if I want to read a love story, I want to read an Amanda Gowan love story. Because <laughs> I think she does relationships in this quirky and weird way that's that's far more interesting than most um than most writers um when they take on the the you know male female um relationship, you know, type stuff, the dynamic between two people. Like in this one, you know, you've got this guy who I kind of envisioned him as, yeah, some type of mob kind of guy. But there was something else, I think, going on. And maybe it's just me because neither one of you guys mentioned it. He had this kind of surreal, almost dystopian feel to it. Like there was nothing around them. Like the places they were at just weren't inhabited. There were three characters in the entire story and not that, you know, but it just it felt like they were somewhere else, somewhere very desolate and and, and empty. So I, I don't know. There was something going on there for me, at least, that was a little dystopian and surreal on top of this weird relationship between Christoph and, and the kind of femme fatale kept woman. Yeah, I agree. It, it felt like, you know, these motels in the middle of nowhere that, you know, where the, the had, had they not swam, I would imagine that the pool had been drained. Right. You know, and the people just still sit around there, you know, on recliners. But there was, um, if you recall, there was the uh, other building, apartment 129. And there was a, another character there that she used to look at, with, the, mm-hmm. you know, with the telescope. So she was referencing other people. So that kind of, I, I suppose, enlarged, you know, the sort of setting. And but I get where you're going. It, it, it did feel very sort of Paris, Texas uh, uh, stages, you know. <laughs> you're just kind of these two characters wandering through life. 
Um, another feeling that I got uh, from the book was, or from the story, it just it felt like such a full full story. I'm saying book, or it's because I'm holding a book in my hand and I just thought of the word book. But um, I got a similar tone, and you guys feel free to disagree with me. To uh, uh, at least in my scars, Stephen Graham Jones. I've not read that one, unfortunately. Sorry, Stephen. <laughs> Stephen, what do you have to say about that? Like, that's the surprise we have him on, and we just didn't tell you. <laughs> that would be awful, wouldn't it? Sorry, Stephen, I didn't that's read your story, right? <laughs> that's our new, like, thing is we, we ambush people. No, no mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. But, but, you know, I think it might be. So hold on. Just because you mentioned Stephen Graham Jones. Yes, Rob, I agree with what you said. And that, that same kind of feel in that, you know, that there's not a lot going on around them. Yeah. You yeah, know like I mean? the story yes, is yeah. so internal, and mm-hmm. and the external world is almost inconsequential, except for when the character chooses to make it part of their world, like that kind of thing. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, Rob and I were talking while we got on Skype, and, and I think we've mentioned this on the podcast before. <laughs> Rob said, would you call Skype the most unreliable birthday <laughs> calendar ever? Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. <laughs> we think it might be Stephen Graham Jones' birthday today when we're recording this. So we're not we're not sure though, because Skype has a weird way of telling you someone's birthday is today, but if you look at the line above it, it says older than a week. But it still says it's today, even though it falls below that line. So um that was I think that was back of Rob's mind with uh with it being maybe his birthday today. Yeah. Well, happy birthday, Stephen, if it is, and I will go and read um, your story. Now it's been mentioned. <laughs> it's good stuff. It is really good. Um, but yeah, Amanda's story, like you said, was just like slick and cool. And, and even from like the first two paragraphs, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to enjoy this because it just has like a personality about it. It's quite claustrophobic as well, isn't it? In that sense, it's just those two and it could work really well you know, on film or on the stage. It has that kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and she does do that really well. And everything that I kind of read from her, uh, I, I really envy a, a sort of dialogue and the way she's quite stark and punchy with what she does. And sometimes it, it feels dreamlike. I said this to her before. So a lot of her stuff feels like, like she's conjured it up from a dream. And it's got that kind of slight surreal edge. But then she kind of sucker punches you by giving you this sort of um, sort of reality, this gritty reality as well. For sure. As you were reading the story when she first sent it to you, I just want to know, was there any mention of cabbage in the original story that had to be removed? Because I feel like she talks about cabbage all the time, and I don't know what that is. There was no cabbage. I no did not cabbage. get anything out. There was no, no. She did, there was no mention of cabbage. We can't go like one episode having her on where cabbage does not somehow come up. So I thought maybe it's an, it's an obsession that like, you know, permeates like everything. I've known Amanda now. I can't remember how many years. We we met on the Velvet, which for anyone who doesn't know what the Velvet is, it was like St. Elmo's Fire. <laughs> You know, like a sort of naughty's version of St. Elmo's Fire, you know, where all these people came together. That was kind of cool. And it celebrated the works of Stephen Graham Jones, the aforesaid uh, writer, uh, Will Christopher Bear and Craig Clevenger. And I met her on there and we kind of struck up a relationship, you know, just on and off that board. And she would send me emails. And we've kind of been in correspondence now 
I want to say about it's got to be coming up to seven, eight, maybe even more years. And we've almost emailed each other every day. And in that time, she's never mentioned cabbage to me. So maybe it's just something that <laughs> Rob, is... Rob reminds her of cabbage for some reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I oh, no. never mentioned cabbage to me in any of her correspondence. All right. Fair enough. It's all in my head then. Yeah. All right. Craig, tell us about your, this is what my, what my note says. Tell us about your weird ass story. <laughs> okay. Right. I, I, I was trying to sort of figure it out myself how I could sort of distill this story. But essentially, it's about this girl who's got these horrific uh, deformities, uh, these growths, and they're kind of killing her. And um, she employs the services of a violin maker, um, a luthier kind of person, who who would come along and um, play a this viola because she was very interested in the music or oh, that was the kind of subtext that she was she was interested in the music and she wanted to hear it so he would come to her place and she was kind of laid out on the bed with all these grotesque um growths and she would sort of talk to him about life and it's essentially their relationship so in terms of going back to amanda's story you know it's very much a kind of personal claustrophobic um, so a look at two people it's very similar that these two people really in this story and it's about them and she this this girl uh, called Meg is talking to this Luthier uh, called Mr. Andin James Andin and essentially it's their relationship and him getting to know her and her passing on information and it comes to light that what she's trying to do is um, convince him to start hacking off limbs, like her arm, a leg, which she's lost feeling to because of this disease, which she's got this disorder. And then she wants him to make a violin or a viola out of it because as it transpires she's pregnant with child and she feels that once she's died that's it but if she can somehow live on then you know that would be sort of something that she wanted to do and she felt that the viola could be her voice singing a lullaby to a child after she's gone does that does that make sense <laughs> it makes perfect sense because i was blown <laughs> away by the story so to to give listeners maybe a, a, an idea of of the feel, I I felt it was I don't want to say Twilight Zone, but if anybody ever caught like Tales from the Dark Side in oh, yeah. the maybe late '80s, early '90s, or I guess it was probably mid '80s, um, but but maybe told through a through a far more artistic voice than that. Um, but but I could I, you know that that show came off a little schlocky um, at times, although I thoroughly enjoyed it. It felt like it. It fit in there, and it was a big, big story in in a in a small number of pages. And I was, uh, it's a really weird story. <laughs> you know, don't get me wrong. Yeah. This is not your your everyday fare, but um, 
it really beautifully told. I just I want to I want I have one I've highlighted one thing out of all of this, mostly because I read this on my phone um, during lunches at work, which, by the way, don't really read this story during lunch on, <laughs> at work if you can avoid it. This is about the family that, that takes uh, that takes the, the girl in when she's uh, when she's just a baby. Um, now in her late 40s, Claire's need for a child had always seemed greater than her own need to exist. And though she and her husband tried for many years to start a new life within her, only sadness and hunger grew within her womb. Joe accepted the blame and carried that burden until it curved his spine, leaving him forever mimicking the posture of a fetus. And I will tell you, that's some heartbreaking shit right there. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, I have this style, and I don't think it's palatable for most people, I'll be honest, because it, it's quite traditional. It's got like a sort of literary edge to it, and at times um, can be quite dense, the prose. And I get it, and I get that people don't kind of gravitate to that. It, it's, it's kind of back in the day. But it's stuff that I really like reading, um, and I kind of write that way. And stuff like that, that I, I, I tend to be too visual at times, and I don't know if you know if it works or it doesn't work. So it's always nice when you get feedback that somebody's picked something out, and you know, something that you've agonised over for you know a good sort of. 30 minutes something and and then they sort of pick it out and it's nice so thank you this is actually one of the things that um about the story that i appreciated was the w way that it was written and i think that um your style of writing really l lent something to the story itself so i thought it was perfect and actually it was going to be one of my comments before you um talked about that was that the the use like the style the more literary and the use of the words that you chose, like, I felt built into the feeling of the story in a good way, in a way that I appreciated. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, the, the the history of that story is that it's... Uh, do you remember I talked about a novel that I was writing when I was on the podcast to begin with called Dog Mile? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so essentially that's the first chapter of Dogmile. And okay. <laughs> oh, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> took me a second. A second yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's no, there's no mention of that in the actual, you know, I, I don't think the Kindles, you know, when you load it up mentions that this is part of Dogmile. This is like the opening chapter. I just kind of put it in there um, just as a standalone piece because I started to, years ago, and I, this has like been a seven-year project, um, I started to write Doug Mal as a series of short stories that were all linked or that were all kind of lived within a certain rural village. That was the only kind of thing that glued them together. So I was writing all these short stories, and what I found was there was, even though the sort of place the setting was the only, you know, the glue. They didn't quite work. So I wrote Stilled Longing as a short, and I thought, actually, this has got more to it. There's, a, there's more to this. When I finished it, I thought, well, what, what will happen to that child? What will happen to Hope? What happened to James Andin? 
And then that kind of festered and um, I started to think about it more. And then I carried on writing then the whole story of hope, you know, the child at the end. And that's essentially dogma. That's crazy. Well, um, yeah. So, so I have a follow up question. Um, <laughs> where, 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 where are we at with Dogmile? It's been universally hated. <laughs> by... <laughs> this is not what we want to hear. Because I'm very intrigued after after reading Still Longing. It's it's fine. I used to take it real. I because you put your heart and soul into something. And I, and I say it's seven years. I mean, it, it took seven years on and off. You know, I wrote two other books in between, that, um, writing or finishing, starting and finishing Dogma. But I, I got to a point, I think it was beginning of last year, um, I wrote the kind of first draft, kind of polished it, so I thought, sent it out to um, a lot of agents, some that I knew, some that, you know, um, I didn't know. And essentially just got, you know, race, you know, that kind of feedback, you know, writing's great. However, I don't feel passionate enough about it to take it on. And that was crushing. And I remember feeling kind of like it was a kick in the balls every single time it comes in. Rejections are like that anyway. You know, uh, as a writer, you do feel sometimes hurt, especially when it's uh, something personal, something that big. So I, it kind of dragged me down. And for a while... I, I just kind of knocked writing on the head. I kind of gave up. I was, it, you know, so I've had enough. I can't do this. I can't take that much sort of pain. Um, so I gave up and realized that I can't give up because it, it was just something that I like to do. So I shelved it. And I think I did a rewrite, a slight rewrite, and I sent it out to, um, you know, Nick Corpin. And he read it. Yeah, yeah, that guy. <laughs> he he read it. He was I owe Nick a big one. And if I ever see him, you know, I'm gonna buy him a couple of old fashions or something, you know, and give him a big hug. Because he was the only one that persevered, bless him, to get to the end. And he came back with some really gracious comments. Uh, he said he liked it, you know. Um he kind of, you know, obviously said there was a few things that could possibly be tweaked. And at that point, Dogmail existed as a multi-perspective novel. So it wasn't just third person. There was epistolary. There was different characters, all telling different stories. So what I did was then, after Nick's comments, was to strip it down even further and actually just write it as all third person, apart from the epistolary sections, which were kind of like journal entries from a doctor. And that's where it sits now. And I'm going to let it sit. And it might never, ever make it anywhere. It might never make it to print. But I'm always happy of that novel. It's I'm probably the proudest thing that, you know, that, you know, it's, it's the thing that I'm most proud of. And whether it makes its print or it doesn't, I don't really care now. And I've kind of got over that, you know, and uh, it's just nice to have it and know that it's there. That's a terrific way to look at it, by the way, because I, I can imagine um, being somebody who doesn't create much of anything, though, that, you know, the first thing you want to do is get it out there and, and share it with people. And, and I can imagine the rejections a 
little bit on the, as you can, you said on the crushing side, but I, I think it's, it's probably good to come to terms with the fact that you still created something that, you know, you're appreciative of, even if, uh, even if the rest of us, that was a, that was a, that's a discussion topic we're actually going to have on the next episode is when you know something exists by somebody whose work you respect and you don't have access to. <laughs> so it's like Rob and I were kind of planning yeah. our next episode a little bit before we got on and we were talking about uh, the other the other end of that, knowing that somebody whose work you really enjoy has made work that you can't have and how that feels to be, uh, you know, for a reader. And it, it, yeah, exactly. And, it, and it's also like when they die early. You know, they only write a couple of books and you know they've got so much more in them and you yeah. just can't get them. And there's only like a limited amount of titles out there. You know, you you know, like three or four books and you kind of want to savor the last couple of books. You know, you've, you've read two that are blowing you away and you only know there's two left. And you just think, <laughs> I, I, I got to kind of hold back. You know, I, I don't want to sort of jump in too quickly because that's it. Once that's done, that's it. Yeah, I um. God, many years ago, 20 years ago, um, I, I picked up a book in a bookstore by Richard Lehman, who was a kind of a cult horror author who didn't do very well while he was alive in the United States, but apparently in other parts of the world was very successful. So I, I, I buy this book. I, I read it. It was the early days of the Internet. And I go, oh, my God, this is terrific. I absolutely love this book. I look him up. And the first thing that comes up is that he died like three months before I read this book. So I know exactly what you mean, but I look and I go, great, he's got a catalog. It might be 20 books or whatever. So I start buying them up and I start buying them up and I start reading. I'm ordering them from Amazon UK because some of them aren't even in print in the United States. And then uh, my girlfriend says to me, she goes, maybe you should slow down a little bit because one day you're going to read the last Richard Lehman book. It's exactly what you said. So here it is 20 years later. There are four that I haven't read and I'm dying to read them. And I just won't because at some point I'm going to be at the end of the the richard layman stories so I, I get exactly what you're saying and yeah it's it's uh it's troubling for the for the consumer yeah uh, and it's and it's a shame you know but that's kind of it isn't it you know you do something and you hope people like it and when sometimes it doesn't go your way you know um you just have to sort of get on and with dog mile i, I essentially always cared for it and i will always protect it but i can't sort of let it bug me anymore so what i do is i kind of jump into another project now and i keep writing and just keep writing and writing and writing and then keep sending stuff out and if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen so it doesn't hurt as much now because i'm just kind of going through the creative process right on um another question about serious moonlight um it if I remember correctly, and I do because we wrote it down, so this is just me um, being funny. Um, proceeds are going to go to uh, a cause, International Medical Corps. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. Uh, all proceeds from Sirius Moonlight will go to the International Medical Corporation, or Corps. Yep. Uh, they're sort of like a, a preeminent first responder team that um, the kind of when any major disaster or crisis happens for like for the last 30 years they've kind of gone in you know straight away so you know things like Afghanistan Rwanda uh, uh, Japan Syria things like that they would they will go in and help and uh, they're a really good 
organization um and it's just about helping people really and that was again manda's idea you know it wasn't about us trying to sort of uh, fleece people of money <laughs> and um sort of take all the profits and then you know whatever that was the, the sort of minute amount it was it was more about sort of let's just do this as a sort of just like side project like a sort of little creative project but let's try and give something back and i was totally on board you know uh, i thought it was a really good idea and we just kind of to and fro where it should go and again this was manda's suggestion and i just thought yeah it's perfect so as i say all the all serious moonlight is is amanda's baby and i i you know all props everything should go to her she's just been amazing with this whole thing and i'm just privileged that she's asked me of all the writers that she knows to sort of come on board with it um so yeah so if you do buy it know that none of this money is going to us it's going to somebody else so even if you don't want to read it even if you know it doesn't kind of turn you on any of the sort of stories buy it anyway you know because it's it, you could be helping somebody uh in the future yeah that's awesome um and i, I think well i mean we're you're going to hear our, our our review and everything our wrap up about it and, and our rating on it um so but I, from us talking about it you can tell we're probably pretty enthusiastic but um 99 cents man it's not a big investment and especially knowing that you're going to get some excellent stories but also your money is going to helping people in need that's like i mean that's a hundred percent win in like every direction yeah yeah it's a no-brainer isn't it well we hope it's a no-brainer but obviously <laughs> people might think otherwise all right i think that wraps up the portion where we're talking about serious moonlight um Rob and I have a bone to pick with you, Craig, and that's uh... okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So we understand is... your we, yeah we understand your back to writing. We understand that you had some um, what's the word I'm looking for operational issues with writing with your desk, right? So, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So I'm I'm gonna let Rob go into this this next question. I guess <laughs> after I've set this up because you had to make some adjustments to your workspace in order to write more comfortably, and we're. We're taking a little bit of issue with yeah. it, I guess. So why, okay. like, why do you hate Rosh Artext, man? <laughs> I will. Before you answer, I want to tell you that. Um, so, like, with all of my electronic little gadgets, my phone and my computer and everything, because I'm 100. Mm. I own all Apple stuff. I've named every device that I have after a character in Rosh Artext, and then. Olivia sends me this thing the other day. It's got you propping up a desk with Rosh Artext, and I was like, "That son of a bitch." <laughs> It was at random. I have, uh, I have a few books on my shelf downstairs. Everything that I kind of own, all my literature um, I've purchased, uh, first editions, kind of signed copies. Uh, I'm, I'm quite kind of OCD. I don't put them out because I don't want dust collecting on them. And uh, I kind of put them in jiffy bags and put them into boxes and they're all in the attic. But occasionally what I do is I go into the attic and I pull a load of books out that I want to read and I keep them on a shelf. So they're the to read shelf. And it was downstairs and I was kind of figuring out how can I, um, I knew I was going to write all day. How can I write all day without essentially putting strain on my neck? Um, so my, you know, try and keep a, a posture that's less like a cashew or a shrimp. 
and, <laughs> and kind of more, you know, kind of uh, straight back. And I saw these books and I thought, I'll, I'll just grab them. And it, it wasn't kind of, I'm just going to take everybody that I don't like and stick them underneath the table. It was literally, I just need to get this table up just to sort of save me. So in some way, they actually helped. They 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 kind of supported me <laughs> throughout that whole process. So I owe them. Because I said to Paul, uh, Paul Tremblay, that um, he was there as well. Um, the Disappearance of Devil's Rock was underneath there. And I, I sort of give him props for helping me. Literally propping up my <laughs> desk. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know, man. See, around... I think it's it's easy to get a hold of Stephen Hall, and I'm going to see what he has to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stephen Hall. I have not read that one as well. Richard said he'd read it. Richard Thomas and that. I said, no, I've not read it yet. So, it, is a, yeah, it, it is a favorite book of this podcast um, easily. I mean, if you if you take me and Rob aside from stuff we haven't you know reviewed on, on here, we'll, we'll both easily tell you probably top ten. Easily. Books. So... Um, but yeah, around these parts, it's, it's kind of a running joke because Rob used a, a a book, a particular book that he wasn't fond of, as a beer coaster for yeah. God, probably three years of this podcast before he, um, I don't want to say upgraded. Is that the right term, Rob? That you upgraded your your beer coaster? I'm actually without a beer coaster right now. Uh, oh, he's he's looking I, at his bookshelf it. right I now. I know I am. I'm looking back at the bookshelf. Like, so I guess like who was it? I can't it accuse. The... Uh, I can't. I can't. I guess accuse other people of book abuse when I've done really, really bad things to books. But um, it was uh, an advanced reader copy of Monica Drake's The Stud Book. That was my beer coaster for probably, oh. yeah, like you said, three, three since we reviewed it, mm-hmm. however long ago that was. And if we were to review it now, Rob would probably give it a higher rating because it served it served a great purpose. It holds, um, up, <laughs> holds up your beverage excellently. Yeah. That's that could be yeah the the sort of strap line. I, I've been trying to get him to write that Amazon review for a long time now. And yeah, just, just won't I, do it. I think yeah I I you know you should you should yeah put on Goodreads. You know this is this is the thing that you know yeah, if you need that book more than you know if you just want to enjoy the literature then just yeah use it as a coaster. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go and um, modify my Goodreads review and just add one line. That has something says something to that effect, yeah, yeah. So I think yeah, I was going to say essentially you'll be the first person to review the book, uh, Serious Moonlight, now available on Kindle for ninety nine cents, um, on Goodreads. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's happening right. probably the day that the uh, episode goes up, so as not to spoil well, our thoughts, of course. I. Yeah, because we, uh, I think, I think Amanda and myself have put one down, but obviously that's just very narcissistic of us to actually rate it. I never know what to do regarding that. What do you, give us a steer? What's your opinion on authors um, rating their own book? And be honest. That's uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think that so I, I I've seen it, um, you know, where people talk about the process behind the book or or kind of their thoughts on why they did it. And, you know, you attach a rating to it. I don't think it's a problem because it's pretty clear that you're the author. Yeah. So I, I don't you know, as long as it's not just, um, you know, Craig Walwork rates this five stars and moves on. You know, if you put a portion <laughs> about why you guys did, you know what I mean? More yeah. of an explanation than what just falls in the the synopsis or you know the the description on amazon or something then i think it, it's probably a pretty valid way to 
get a little extra something from the writer. Yeah, Shit. like if it's if it's like a if it's if I see it as sales pitchy, then that would annoy me. Like if if it was like, oh, you know, if you if you enjoy these ten authors who are these megastars, um, you should mm. read my book. Then I would find that a little sleazy. Um, but if it was like I had a great time doing this and these were my inspirations, or this is you know a little backstory like Livius was saying, I think that would be fine. Or if it was just like, hey, I really am proud of the work I did, I think that's cool too. But if it was like somehow like if you were trying to associate yourself kind of fraudulently with something else just to kind of draw attention i would find that to be sleazy yeah i need to go back then and write something (laughs) (laughs) although i always love love when i see people um you know like they'll they'll, uh, screen clip something from amazon because their book will show up next to Stephen King's and people like also purchased, you know, or or something along those lines and like make a big deal about it. And I'm like, look, man, first of all, my Amazon history is scary because some of the titles we've reviewed, some of the things that pop up. Yeah. Um, you know, like, you know, stepdaddy three will pop up and you might also like based on your browsing history. And I'm like, I don't, don't want to let anybody into my Amazon account for any reason whatsoever. Yeah, busted barrels, bullet bananas. Yeah. Well, um, the current thing that happened is Amazon now has like a weird um, video service that just shows really crappy, campy, semi-erotic like horror movies. I forget what it's called. <laughs> it, well, I, I clicked on it because it's like six bucks a month. I was like, I wonder if these titles are any good. And they had some kind of free trial. So I was looking through some of them. And there's like a weird movie I actually looked into and watched a trailer. It was terrible. It was a, it was a female Zorro who was a lesbian. Like, these are the kind of movies they're showing on there. And now the bottom of my Amazon page is just <laughs> titles related. Is just titles related to that, like, all the time. Because it's like they're your recently viewed yeah. items and featured recommendations is always just terrible. Like, you know, like like Double D Martian Babes and the, you know, that kind of stuff. So I just read that, and it was wonderful. Yeah. So. I, Craig, one more thing, actually, that I thought of. I think that anybody who's been reviewed by us needs to give their own Goodreads review because then, because how else would would anybody see like as reviewed on Booked? Right. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it just it's a hyperlink, isn't it? Essentially, and you, then you go off and, <laughs> and, and you listen review. to it. Yeah. 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 I I read. Um, I was I was researching something and and I've never done this before. And I I was looking at um, you know Karen Slaughter the the sort of thriller writer she'd she'd um she'd wrote a book called triptych and triptych featured uh in in my book that i'm writing at the moment and i thought oh, god i hope i'm not you know sort of stolen an idea so i went and read some of the reviews on goodreads for uh, triptych and there was this uh one review it was three stars and i've never read a review whereby the reviewer assumes that um, Goodreads is a conduit to actually speak to the characters in real life. <laughs> oh, no. Let me see if I can... Have we got our time just to see if I can try and find Listen, it? It's 3.30 in the morning where you're at. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let, let me just <laughs> see if time. I can yeah. pull it up. It's... Okay. <laughs> it's by Paige Bookdragon. That's her name. I don't, I don't know if Bookdragon is a, a, a real surname. I'm assuming it's not. <laughs> but uh, essentially, she she's um, give a synopsis, you know, of what the the, the kind of story is about, and then she's broke it down into three distinct sections. There's the good, 
there's the bad and there's the evil. And I just want to shoot to the evil. Okay. I'm just going to read what she wrote about the, the characters. So, uh, all of these fucktards are on my shit list. Let me start with Angie. First of all, bitch, I don't like you. How can I, when you're an ungrateful twat who loves to hurt those around you, you use people like a discarded tissue, and it never likes how you use Will like he's your fuck body or something. Michael, of all the motherfuckers, you are the motherfuckiest. Fuck you, dipshit. <laughs> Michael's mother. I forgot this bitch's name, but trust me, she's a bitch. Fuck you too. <laughs> and it kind of goes on. And I just thought, <laughs> if you're listening, Paige, Book Dragon, if you want to read um, Serious Moonlight, we'll send you a free copy because I think you've got a, a successful career in reviewing for Goodreads because I just think it's uh, that was one of the funniest things I've read for a while. That's amazing. Um, I think that's how all of our future book reviews should be. We're <laughs> speaking directly to the characters. <laughs> and just like that. I think I think we're gonna have to revamp the entire format of our podcast. Um yeah, I'm all I'm down for that. I think that's the right thing to do. Yeah. I, I just uh, it was just a novel way of doing book reviews. That's revolutionary. So, as we're wrapping up, you mentioned you were working on a book. Um, probably not going to ask you a whole lot about what you're working on, but what, what do you think we're gonna we're gonna see next from Craig Walwork? Um, I don't know. I'm gonna finish this novel I'm writing, which is a totally different genre. Um, as I, as I mentioned with Karen Slaughter, it's in the thriller kind of genre. Um, I'll I'll finish that. I'm hopefully gonna finish that by the end of Jan beginning of feb and then i'll let that sit as i said earlier that uh when i wrote dog vile i wrote about two other novels in between then so i'm still going to try and sort of pitch them hopefully something will come off uh and i'll be able to sort of land them at places so i've got a kind of like a big back catalog but they're just kind of sitting there waiting to find the right person uh in terms of what you will see next i don't know i've got a short story coming out in um in a magazine called Hypertrophic, and they're, they're going to publish that in spring. And I think that's pretty much it so far. Is there any plan to do any more kind of collaborations with Amanda like this one, or was this kind of just a one-off fun project? We had spoke about it. Um, I, obviously, she pitched just the one story, and then I think during the process of writing it, she said, you know, should we do like a few? instead of just one and i knew i i just couldn't commit at that stage to writing more stories or like sifting through the ones that i had that might fit you know uh and i said look you know can we just and it was my it was, you know it was obviously my idea just to sort of say look you know is it okay if we just do one and and see how it goes but i'm really interested in working with you again on something so who knows there, there may be uh, a short story collection like uh, you know a bigger piece uh, if she'll still work with me, I don't know. She may have been put off. <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't even do this interview tonight, so yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think we've fallen out. I think she's fallen out with me, and that's why she's not here. <laughs> Excellent. 
Well, Craig, thank you again for a great interview and for being so accommodating. I don't know if anybody caught this, but um, we're wrapping this up. It is 3.30 a.m. in the U.K. when we're wrapping up this interview. So time zones and craziness. Uh, Mr. Walwork was kind enough to, I'm sure, take a nap and then get up in the middle of the night to talk to us. And now he's probably <laughs> looking, thinking, when are these guys going to shut up so I can go back to sleep? No, no, I'm like I say, I'm okay. I, I can, I, you know, I've got a bit of a lion tomorrow. I just apologize if um, it, it wasn't that lucid because obviously I did have a bit of a nap and I had a, a sort of coffee just before we came on air. And I was, I, you know, I may have just been fumbling through this whole thing. So thank you for your patience, listeners. Well, if you're ever up in the middle of the night again and, and you want to you wanna do something, uh, shoot us a message and we'll throw together an episode. Uh, <laughs> we'll throw on the headphones and just cut and call you in, yeah. Yep. Well, that is, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks again. All right, another great interview with Craig Walwork. Um, we purposely... Uh, it's tough to do your synopsis and give stars when someone's on the podcast. So now that he's gone, we can really talk our shit about this, right? So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, we can't David. We can't David James Keaton this one. Um, like I feel like we're okay with summarizing what we think about David James Keaton books while he's on, but that's like a special honor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to start with uh, with your wrap up, or would you prefer I go first? I'll go. So, um, first of all, these are two short stories, so it was a very very quick read, and and I say that not to. Uh, as a negative thing, but as a positive thing, because the both authors, both stories built such huge worlds in the small amount of space that they had, and it was roughly even. So you know, you know we're talking maybe ten, fifteen page stories at the at the most, and um, they built such huge worlds and and got us so involved with the characters in that small amount of space. It was um, definitely a mark of, of really good writing. Uh, Amanda her she's always got this kind of like it feels like you're almost a little bit hypnotized by her writing and this one from the first couple of paragraphs i think i said while we were talking to craig i was just so locked in for this story and it was just really kind of sexy and dangerous and weird and um it just worked so greatly and i thought it was great um as far as craig's went a little bit different a little weird and again it does kind of make me think of um was it the short story collection was Quintessence of Dust? I think we read a long time mm-hmm. ago, yep. and it reminded me a little bit of some of the stories that were in there. Just this kind of like a mystical feel to um, a story that's got a lot of gravity and meaning to it. So um, both stories excellent in different ways, um, but they don't feel like they that they don't belong together. They feel like it's you know a natural kind of fit between the two of them. So loved them both, and I love both the authors and five stars. Yeah, Amanda Gowan writes relationships in a, in a for me personally in a more interesting way than than pretty much anybody. And I, I say that not that maybe I haven't read one or two that you know that that, that touched me in a different way, but she's very consistent um, with, with her delivery on weird relationships. And I, I pretty much love everything she does. Um, again, like Rob said, that hypnotizing. Yeah, they're all very surreal. Like like you feel like there's something else going on there, even when maybe there isn't. Like your brain, I think maybe even fills in holes sometimes <laughs> that that aren't necessarily there. Um, but it's it's always a, a, a lot of fun to to read her stuff. Um, Craig's story, like I said, you know, I was a little I, I was a little surprised. And and yes, you're right. I think that would have fit very well with Quintessence of Dust. Um, I wasn't sure where the story was headed. 
but holy crap, it headed in a in a great direction. It's like literary bizarro almost. So um, you know the the great, really weird, unlikely stuff that happens in a bizarro story, but told by a by a far more um, literary and artistic writer than than most bizarro stories are. Um, and Rob also hit the nail on the head. The stories aren't similar at all, but they fit well together. And uh, I recommend it. I mean, it's it's a very quick read. Um, the money goes to a good cause, and uh, there's no reason to not give this five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Uh, all right. So that is Serious Moonlight. It's on Amazon. It's 99 cents. Your money goes to a good cause. There is literally no reason for you to not go out and get that right now. Um, it's coming highly recommended from us, which is always, you know, a guarantee you're going to love it, right? <laughs> I can, uh, I, I, I find it odd that somebody wouldn't enjoy these, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So, uh, what else we got? What's coming up, Livius? What can, what can these lovely listeners look forward to in 2017? <laughs> Right, so we promised more book reviews, and uh, we started with reviewing two short stories, and then we're going to go right into an interlude episode. So um, that that <laughs> this is what's going to happen. We promised more, and you know, it's, it, like December, we're going to be like, all right, we only need to read and review ten books to deliver on our like in this yeah. four weeks. That's so that's Rob and I are a little uh, procrastinating. That's not really a word. We're procrastinators, so expect the the last month or two of this year to be filled with books. Um, an interlude next episode, and then um, followed up by a couple of book reviews. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yep, um, we will do more books. Um, I think that I, we're still getting hit with holiday stuff. Like we both, you know, have jobs that you know pick up around this time of year and um, other various excuses. But um, yeah, books. I will not allow myself to dip under 10,000 pages for two years in a row, so we're going to be reading the hell out of some books. Um, I did talk to a um, friend of the podcast and one of our most generous Patreon contributors, Jesse Lawrence. I didn't tell you this, Livius, but um, he did tell me that he's working on um, coming up with the book that he's going to make us listen to this year because he's at the $25 a month level where he gets to pick a book for us to review every year. I hope he delivers better than he did on the last one. That's all I can say. Yeah. Hopefully it's a decent book. Oh, that was terrible. Yeah, I, got, I, terrible. I, I don't think anybody else got that, but yeah, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, hey, and before we forget, um, we have the, uh, the distinction and the honor of once again being nominated for an award, right? Um, that is correct. So this would be the fifth i think fifth year in a row mm -hmm. that we are nominated for um a this is horror award of some sort yeah so this year it's actually broken down into um fiction and non-fiction podcasts this is for 2016 so don't take this episode into consideration when when casting <laughs> your vote think back about the all the great things we did last year um and i will mention who are uh our um competitors uh, yeah competitors are yeah I, I was trying to think of a nice way to say what i was thinking um so there are six total um podcasts in this category now if you go to their website you'll notice we're listed first and i'm sure there's a good reason for that <laughs> so it's it's us it is the lovecraft easing podcast the faculty of horror the grim tidings podcast the horror show with brian keen 
and the No Fear podcast. And No is K N O W. Um, so you know what? Why don't you take a, a couple a couple hours? Go listen to to one of those episodes from each of the other ones, and then decide <laughs> who's really more important to you. Uh, Rob and yeah. Yeah, so um, we'll talk more about that on the next episode, but but that did drop in the last few days. So we just want to make sure um, voting is open. This is a uh, a listener voted thing. So please, if you have a moment, um, go to thisishorror.co.uk. Um, there's an awards link. Um, follow the directions. Basically, you send an email um, listing your first choice and second choice. So, um, you know, we don't care who your second choice is. We have no other horses in this particular race. So. But I think if you join us next week, we're probably going to do a breakdown of what we have traditionally called the booked ticket, mm-hmm. because there are some um, categories that have um, people that we're, we're quite interested in. So uh, um, next episode during our interlude, we're going to spend a little bit more time just talking about what we think are um, the best choices um, from each category, or maybe not each category, but from the ones that we care about. There you go. Well, until then, I'm uh, I'm Livia Snedden. Now I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.